Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Have you always felt a little odd, a little different? The world is crying out for witches to heal and to rebuild. But do you hear its call and will you answer? This is a space for free thinking, where I give you tools to explore and build your craft. We all have a divine spark. Join me each week and grow that spark into a fiery beacon. I am your host Michael Moorcroft and I'll be bringing you a one-on-one guide to all things witchcraft and spirituality. This is The Major's Well. Well, hello. It's been a hot minute since I've been on the airwaves and it's quite nice to just dip my toe back in. So, thank you for tuning in. Maybe I need a reintroduction because it's been longer than I anticipated. I think I think I called time on the season the beginning of March and I didn't know I'd be gone this long. A few of you have messaged me saying like, are you coming back? Um, we miss you and what's happening and it's, thank you. Like I always love receiving messages like that. It's very affirming in a way and they're very sweet. So if you've messaged me, thank you so much. Um, And I am back. Well, kind of. There's a lot to go through. There's a lot to explain. And I want to try and do it as succinctly as possible because I don't want to waste your time. A lot's happened. Understatement of the century. (laughs) Um, Both on a collective and a personal. And I do want to take time to talk about both of them. So... Huh, where to begin? Um, so I quit London in December, middle of December, and there was a lot happening. Um, I was going through the breakdown of a relationship, um, a three-year one, and 
and I was realizing that I was tired of working so hard. I quit my job in hospitality. I left my beautiful, beautiful home, like the best place I've lived in London. Like it took me a long time to sort of get to that sort of level. Um, And I just walked out on all of that because I was so lost, (laughs) so unhappy. And I've been working on a project for a while and I just knew that I had to come home and finish it. So I did. And once I got here and started working on it, I very quickly realized that this project wasn't ready to be finished. So that's why I called time on it. And also because like, there was so much to process. And yeah, there was, there was a lot of realizations and like behaviors that I've realized weren't the healthiest for me and patterns. And it's been a very transformational time. Um, Also, I'm 29, about to be 30. And yeah, anyone that's into astrology knows that's peak Saturn return. So for those that aren't clued into astrology, um, Saturn return, it's when Saturn returns to where it was when you were born in your birth chart. And it happens every 29 and a half years. And it's kind of like a reckoning and it kind of slaps you in the face and and shows you what isn't working really. And my God, did Saturn slap me. (laughs) Um, He has wielded his sickle and taken everything, even my flesh, like my tired bones are left. Uh, (laughs) So yes, we're not the same bunny that we used to be. Um, And astrologically, I am technically an adult now. I think my Saturn return ended in January, but there was a lot of ripples after that. Like a lot of friendships have fallen away for me. Like three of my, yeah, three of my longest relationships have just fallen away because, yeah, they just, yeah, I don't know. Friendships are always quite hard when they end. Like I was saying this to one of my other friends, um, there's not really like family issues and relationship stuff. Like I can roll like a stone, but with friendships ending and like friendship issues, like they absolutely gut me. And like, I feel like as a collective, we don't focus on friendships ending enough and there's not much support around that. Um, And friendships always hit me hard around them ending. So yeah, friendships have ended. I also quit modeling which was huge for me because it's been, it's been my life for the past 10 years. And I had all these goals and all these aims around it. And I wanted to live this specific life and yeah, but I have to give it to modeling though. I don't think I would have picked up witchcraft as soon as I did unless I was in modeling. I feel like I approached witchcraft to sort of level the playing field and to try and influence things into my favor. 
which has been an interesting relationship because like I'm big on new moon manifestations and putting things out there, but I could never, well, no, I, I could to an extent, like I could manifest modeling things and like modeling opportunities, but I had very specific goals in mind that I could never manifest. And it would always leave me feeling like, oh, I'm a rubbish witch. But I do think, and I found some of my manifestations, I should say, and I manifested the perfect home for me. Like even down to like the jasmine and the honeysuckle that grew in the garden. Like those were like my favorite plants. Like it, I don't think, hmm, how do I want to word this? I think manifestation works, but to an extent. Like, I don't think I was meant to achieve what I wanted to achieve in modeling. I always think I was going to be blocked energetically. And like, I had received messages from like people throughout my life over the 10 years that were like, you're not meant to be in modeling. And I was like, no, shut up. I am, you know, the perseverance of my will will outweigh any of these things. And I really buried my head in the sand with it, which is why I think Saturn came along and slapped it out of me, you know. Um, looking back, it was very unhealthy for me on so many levels, and it wasn't sustainable. And yeah, we're coming to peace with it. I mean, we're very at peace with it, but like the cookie's still crumbling, so, so to speak. Um there's a lot of like body identity issues and there's the ego to contend with. And like, I just a side note, I, I don't subscribe to this idea that the ego is inherently evil. I think living in a capitalist world, we need an ego, but we need it in a healthy balance. Like too much we're arrogant, horrible people, too little and we get stepped on and taken advantage of. So yeah, that's what I mean when in terms of like my ego, um, I'm not trying to abolish it. We're just trying to find that happy medium again. So yeah, that's been happening. And then collectively, where do I even begin? Like, <laughs> Where do I even begin? Like, I don't even know anymore. Like sometimes I've got such hope and then other times like I fall into like an absolute pit of despair. <laughs> Um, let's start astrologically with that one as well. Um, just because there's a lot of grim astrology out there predicting things for the future, like the next 10 years. And how do I want to approach this? I want to talk about it, but I don't want to talk about it in a way that's like, oh my God, grab your tinfoil hats and get into your bunkers kind of kind of vibe. I want to talk about it in a way that this is data. This is data that may or may not happen because I was also speaking to my friend Cherry about this who did the birth chart. She's she's a brilliant astrologer and she's I've got a lot of time and respect for her. Um she did the birth chart for the majors well around its birthday. And we, I was speaking to her earlier in the year and we were talking about a wave that was astrologically predicted. And we were discussing whether it was going to be like a physical wave, like a tsunami kind of vibe or like a pandemic wave. And astrology is useful, but it's a forecast. 
and the data can be misrepresented or misinterpreted. Uh, it's a forecast, essentially, and forecasts can change at the drop of a hat and can be influenced by a number of different things. So little caveat about like the the grim astrology that I've been seeing around all this sort of stuff. But yeah, there is this idea that things are going to be hard and essentially it looks more of the same. It looks like um, government inadequacies, which we're seeing right across the globe, and also food shortages and the cost of living rising. It's more of the same and like it's really playing out now. Um, like I was listening to a forecast earlier this year and they were talking about food shortages and, and I didn't really appreciate how how bad it was going to get. But like the big one that comes to my mind recently, which was I think about two weeks ago, was the storming of the presidential palace in Sri Lanka, where there just wasn't enough food to, to feed people. Um, and on a personal home level here where I am on, on the Isle of Man, fertilizer has increased by 80% and I'm just like that that cost has got to be put onto the consumer from like an economic point of view like there's, there's just no getting getting around that so it's more of the same and it's tough times ahead and like I say this isn't to get to like get that cardboard cut out, but like the end is nigh on the motorway. It's to give you data to have at the back of your mind when you're making decisions about things. It's it's useful to have in mind. And I want to talk about whatever you're feeling anxious about, because my big thing is that we've seen in the last few years that hard times come and it is the marginalised who suffer the most, who really get hit by ridiculous uh, government schemes and government shortcomings and failures. And I think there is a real need to come together as a collective on all fronts and on every intersectional way possible we've got to fight for each other and fight's a bit of a dramatic word like i no we'll stick with fight we'll stick with fight i'm just yeah i'm struggling with the language because i don't want it to be fearful that's so not my aim with this so yeah, I'm really trying to consider my words. What? Where do I want to take it from there? This idea of fighting for people's rights. Yeah, like we've seen, we've seen a lot of government shortfalls and shortcomings around protecting people. And I want to talk about the Roe v. Wade. Um, while that was blowing up, like I saw a lot of comments online that really astounded me. Um, there were people saying that this is quote-unquote America's problem and it's quote-unquote American women's problem. Um, And I'm just like, if you think for one second that that is, that that decision is going to be contained within America, 
it's time to wake up. <laughs> you know, I think that decision is just going to embolden every far-right party around the world. And we're already seeing that. You know, there's there's calls for, like, um, gay marriage to be abolished here in the UK and also within the Supreme Court in America. And I'm just like, if you think this is limited to women in America or or those who have a uterus in America... Like, you're very mistaken. I don't think human rights are a guarantee anymore. I think, yeah, it's it's really time to show up and to support one another. And I, I want to bring this on to anxiety. And I'm I'm talking about lowercase anxiety. I'm not talking about... I have medically diagnosed anxiety and I take pills for it. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm talking about lowercase anxiety where, oh, I've watched the news today and I've got a weird few feelings churning around inside me. Let your anxiety be a guiding star as to where you want to focus your attention. So for me, climate makes me anxious. So join a climate activist group because you are acting on that anxiety. And for me and for people that I've spoken to, it may not be the case in in everyone's case, but acting on anxiety and transforming it into forward movement in some way, deeply empowering and deeply transformative. And it also puts you with like-minded people which brings me on to my point about community. I think in the next few years, community is going to be very important in terms of these difficult times that we're facing. Uh, community, community, community. I think if you don't have one, I think now is a wonderful time to start building that network um, in however you see fit. I'd say like locally, on a face-to-face level rather than Zoom, if that's available to you. I don't know, maybe. It's it's difficult for me to say this because, like, I'm... How to word this? I'm ambivalent with people. Um, yeah, people have let me down a lot. And, like, get the sad violins out. <laughs> people have let me down a lot, and I'm very cautious around people. So it's difficult for me to start saying, go out and make a network. You know, it's, it feels counterintuitive to me because like I felt betrayed on so many levels on a deep level as well with people. So I would say if you can physical face-to-face connections, like absolutely start working on them, but you know what, just do your best if if you if you're able to and if you feel called to but i really feel community is going to be something that's really important in the coming years and i also want to say do do good where you can as well and that's kind of going to be my focus with the podcast like i really i want to build a community that feels very empowered and connected and yeah, just, I mean, that's always been the aim with my podcast to give people tools to empower their spirituality. And I do think there is, there's so much power in spirituality that I think is so untapped and 
I think we're starting to come back to it. And yeah, that's, that's kind of my aim with the podcast. Um, what else did I want to say on my little ramble? Hmm. That's, that's a really good point as well, that it's a bit woo. It's a little bit new age, but I find it really interesting that we're reaching this pivotal time, this apex, and there's never been more people on the planet in its history than there are right now. We are all bearing witness to what we're seeing, what we're experiencing, and what we're going through as a collective. And I find that really interesting. I find that really interesting. And that to me says, we've all got a role within this, whatever this is and whatever your definition of that is. Maybe it's your role in women's rights or um, climate change or whatever, you know, what, whatever you feel drawn or compelled to. We've all got a role to play. We've all got something to contribute. We've all got a skill that is needed. And and sorry, just back to the activism um, or whatever movement you want to get involved in. You don't have to invent the wheel with this. There are activists out there. Maybe at the very least you support their work. But like no one's asking for you to like don a, a what's the, the device that makes your voice louder? Oh God, I can't think of it. Voice amplifier? Is that what it is? No one's asking you to grab one of those and like take to the streets and start screaming about the injustices of the world. Cool if you want to, like go for it. Um, Also within a legal parameter. But movements need skills from all walks and areas of life. Everybody has something to contribute on on every level, you know? So don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. You've, you've got skills and talents that you, that are unique and rare to you. And yeah, bring them to the table and connect with like-minded people and transform their anxiety into something that empowers you and makes you think, God, I've done something there. I've, I've added my voice to something. I've contributed to something that's bigger than myself because that's a point that I want to make as well. Like the witchcraft that I've been talking about, it's all very self-centered. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Like I read a lot of things where it's like, no, it shouldn't. And, but like, we live in a really capital, like we're in late stage capitalism, you know, it times are hard. if you need to manifest five pounds to buy a bread loaf, like I am going to judge you for that, you know? (laughs) But I do think it would be good to start giving something back collectively, however you want to define that. And it's also kind of going to be my focus. Well, I don't know. I've got a few focuses and I'm kind of at a crossroads. We love a little metaphor around witchcraft and crossroads. We love that. I'm at a crossroads in terms of like, where do I want to take it? I don't know whether to start a complete new season. I don't know whether to sort of like carry on with this season and just let it filter out naturally. Um, I don't know whether I want to, I think I want to talk about protection. 
Protection makes a lot of sense at the minute because I'm seeing a lot of people asking how to protect themselves on forums like Magically and through Witchcraft. So I think that is going to be a focus. But I'm also thinking of like how to combine witchcraft and activism and empowering yourself in difficult times so you can do the best that you can with what you've got on like a collective community level as well. So that's kind of my ideas. Don't know if that's your vibe, but get in touch. Um, let me know if you like that. Let me know. Like, I'm I'm open-minded. You know, I, I want to give information that's useful. And if you're listening to this thinking like protection, I, I don't waste your time, then let me know. Um, I, I've always got open ears and I'm always open to, to suggestions and amending and going with the flow as, as Saturn has taught me. Um, so yeah, I think that's everything that I want to say. It's been a lot. Thank you for listening to my rambling rant. Um, but yeah, I, I, how do I want to wrap that little section up? I guess that's a good point as well that I didn't mention that I was reading something the other day and it's this outrageous statistic that's like the chances of you being here right now based on like all the decisions that your ancestors have ever made is one in 40 billion. I mean, maybe it's not that, it's something like that. It's something outrageous that my brain couldn't comprehend and I'm just like, that's kind of incredible. But again, we're here at this pivotal time and it's one in 40 billion. Again, pinch of salt with that figure. But yeah, that's, I feel that's really relevant. And also our ancestors have gone through way, way, way worse things than what is potentially coming up in the future. So yeah, it's scary times, but potentially scary times. But I think there's massive opportunities for transformation and building better systems and systems that focus on equality and living standards and (laughs) getting people's basic needs met because everything feels like it's falling apart at the minute. Like nothing feels like it's working and something's got to give, you know, something's got to give. And I think, yeah, I'm repeating myself and I'm just going to say community, do the best you can where you can and let's ride this wave out together. So what else do I want to say? So a little bit of a cheater episode today. I've, I've been really cheeky because Yes, this is an episode, but I'm not coming back just yet. I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The next part of the season, or like the next season, like I say, I don't know, I don't know what's happening at the minute. Hot mess vibes. Um, It's not ready yet. I need to go away and do research. And I also want to do like a good catalogue, because at one point last year, I was literally working to the deadline each week. Like, oh, it's Wednesday in five days, and I haven't finished researching yet. That was stressful. (laughs) (laughs) so I do want to get a bit of a back catalogue built um, of research from recorded episodes so I can be like okay we can we can release this episode this week so this is just a little hey I'm alive hey I'm coming back um, 
It's a remastered episode, which is cheeky because it's an old episode jazzed up. But, 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 stay tuned, stay with me because I was, it, it's about my favourite, one of my favourite folklore figures ever, Baba Yaga. Like, I have so much time for Baba Yaga, absolutely love her. Um, I was asked to do a talk on her in what pandemic was it? I don't even know what wave were we in. I don't know. In, I think it was, I, I, do you know what? I don't even know. But I was in a coven and they asked me to do a, a talk on her. So I really, I already had my notes together on the Baba Yaga episode and I went even deeper in this talk and found out even more weird, delicious tidbits that need to be shared because she is just such a a rich, powerful figure that's quite relevant to what we're facing as well at the time, like at the time of recording. So yeah, it's my remastered Baba Yaga episode, but it's a bumper edition as well because there's so much more in there. So yeah, I think I really want to start with a, a story about Baba Yaga because I feel like it It frames her perfectly, and it's just quite a nice way to introduce her. So the story begins with a a young girl called Vasilisa. She's at home with her father, who is a wealthy merchant, and her mother, who's on her deathbed. So... The mother calls Vasilisa over and says, while passing her a doll, Do as I tell you, my child. Take good care of this little doll and never show it to anyone. If anything bad ever happens to you, give the doll something to eat and ask its advice. It will help you out in all of your troubles. Handy little doll, I'd kind of like one of those myself at the minute. So the mother then dies and... The father enters grieving and quickly decides to get married again because, hey, why not keep that conveyor belt churning? Um, It's really to give Vasilisa a a mother figure. So this stepmother enters Vasilisa's life and she has two daughters who aren't blessed with their looks, shall we say. And surprise, surprise, they all hate Vasilisa and start to make her life hell. Because they're quite jealous of Vasilisa because she is quite beautiful. So they have this plan to sort of make her beauty fade. They work her to the bone. They order her about all day, every day. And they underfeed her as well. But despite their best efforts, as the weeks and months go by, Vasilisa's beauty only grows. But what the ugly trio don't realise is that the doll is is coming into play here. So her father, completely oblivious to any of this, we could comment on his parenting skills here, but we'll refrain. He leaves on a trip to sell his wares far away. Remember, he's a merchant. So that night, the stepmother gives all the daughters a task. One is assigned to weaving lace, the second to knitting stockings, and Vasilisa is actually spinning yarn. Now, 
In a move that I don't understand, the mother makes them do it all by the light of a single candle. Now, in medieval Russia, where to climb the social ladder as females, marriage was like pretty much your only solid option. And if you've got ugly daughters, we don't want to damage their eyesight as well. You know, like I feel like <laughs> play to your strengths, you know, <laughs> reserve what you've got. But they're all working by the light of this single candle. Now the candle goes out and there's a tiff over who should get light from their neighbor. Enter Babi Agar. Vasilisa gets pushed out of the hut into the night and has to go to Babi Agar's house, who is well known in the community for her cannibalistic tendencies. I mean, really what's gonna go wrong here? I, I see no issues. Now, Vasilisa's walking into the forest because I, I also forgot to mention that not only is Babi Agar a cannibal, she's a cannibal deep in the forest. <laughs> it's pitch black, and the forest is blocking out the light from the stars and the moon. And yeah, Vasilisa is slightly concerned as to how this is all going to pan out. So she grabs her doll and tells it her fears. And the doll replies, never you mind, you'll be alright. Nothing bad can happen to you while I'm with you. I'd be sceptical, but onward she goes. Now, she sees a man dressed in white on a white horse who glows in the dark, who gallops past her. So that happens, and she stumbles deeper into the forest, and dawn is breaking, and she sees a man in red on a red horse who gallops past her, and she carries on walking for another whole day until evening arrives. So she approaches a small glade, and she sees a small hut with offensive bones and mounted skulls. Now, Vasilisa takes it all in, slightly intimidated and fair play. I would be, I'd be terrified. And suddenly she hears galloping and yet another man on horseback approaches. And he's all in black on a black horse and he disappears before the hut. Now, quote from the tale, Night descended, and lo, the eyes of the skulls crowning the fence began to glow, and it became as light as if it were day. Vasilisa shook with fear. She could not move her feet, which seemed to have frozen in the spot and refused to carry her away from this terrible place. All of a sudden, she felt the earth trembling and rocking beneath her, and there was Baba Yagar flying up in a mortar, swinging her pestle like a whip and sweeping the tracks away with a broom. She flew up to the gate and sniffing the air, cried, I smell Russian flesh, who is here? So Vasilisa introduces herself and she says she's been sent by her stepsisters for light. So Baba invites her in and gives her a small chunk of bread to eat and tells her to pick out all the black bits from the sack of millet seeds else she'll eat her. And fair play to Baba, you know what you see is what you get and you know what you're working with. So Vasilisa has a minor meltdown, as one would. It's very much out of the frying pan and into the fire situation. Baba falls asleep and Vasilisa feeds her doll some bread and it tells her to go to sleep and it calls in birds to sort through the seeds. And next morning, Baba asks Vasilisa if it is sorted, and it is. Now Baba is massively miffed and goes out hunting and tells her to sort out a sack that's mixed with peas and poppy seeds 
to separate the two, else once again, Shalita. So off Baba goes in her mortar and pestle, and Vasilisa feeds the doll once again, who this time calls in mice to sort the sacks out. Baba returns and is annoyed that the task is done. So Baba's annoyed and she asks Vasilisa, you know, why are you sat there mute? Now Vasilisa responds with, I don't dare speak, but I have questions if you don't mind. So Baba says, sure, shoot. But she also warns Vasilisa that not every question has a good answer. And the more someone knows, the sooner they grow old. So Vasilisa asks about the white, red and the black riders. So Baba replies that they are her bright day, red sun and black night. The conversation ends and Baba says it's wise that Vasilisa only asks what she did as Baba eats those who ask too much. So she then asks Vasilisa how she got through the task so quickly and to which she responds with, it's down to her mother's blessing. Now, Baba isn't keen on this and doesn't like people with blessings in her home and quickly kicks her out. But before she does so, she kind of honors their unspoken agreement that they kind of had and gives Vasilisa one of the skulls from the fence containing fire. So Vasilisa runs home and leaves the skull outside, to which it responds, You mustn't throw me away. Your stepmother and her daughters need me. She ignores the skull and goes inside, and her family tell her that they haven't had light or heat for days, and every time fire crosses the threshold, it mysteriously goes out. So Vasilisa grabs the skull and brings it in. This skull locks eyes on her family, on her stepfamily, and they erupt into flames and shrieks of pain as the skull incinerates them into oblivion, leaving behind three heaps of ash. Understandably, Vasilisa doesn't wish to live where she calmly witnessed her family perish in complete agony. She moves in with an old lady and weaves a beautiful cloth who she gives to the woman to sell. She doesn't, this woman. She takes it to the Tsar as a gift, and he ends up asking for Vasilisa, and they fall in love and get married. Dad's like FTW when he gets home and sees all the ash, but he is invited to the palace to live alongside the old lady who Vasilisa lodged with. And that's the end. I mean... For me, the fact that the local monarchy doesn't feel the need to protect its bloodline and keep it pure, subtext incestuous, and marries into the merchant class, that's the real supplies and plot twist of the story. Bar the cannibalistic woman in the woods, talking skull and family members igniting. I really like this story. We have Baba as this trickster, a villain, a saviour, rolled into one, we see this this battle or competition between magical users, which ends up in brutally killing Vasilisa's evil family. It's shockingly violent, and Baba kind of takes this fairy godmother mold and absolutely destroys it. But who is Baba Yaga? I want to look at the different components of her to break down her character and just give it a little bit of analysis. And I think to start with, let's look at her name. Baba may mean midwife, 
sorceress or fortune teller. And in modern Russian, the word babushka, meaning grandmother, derives from it. There's no real consensus about where Yaga derives from, but it's generally thought to mean serpent or snake, coming from Sanskrit and Proto-Slavic languages. Her name also has many variations, adding to the mystery of its origins. The fact that she's named is a point to highlight as well, because when, in fairy tales and folklore, does the witch have a name? She doesn't, and she often remains unknown. But that being said, there's also a thought that superstitious people have avoided actually naming her. Instead, they assigned her various nicknames, and Baba Yaga could be one of those nicknames. And also something to point out is that she sometimes has sisters, also called Baba Yagas. So sometimes her name also isn't capitalized as well, suggesting that the person in the tale is described as being similar to her, or in a Voldemort-esque way, they don't refer to her real name in case it gives it power. So if this is the case, her real name has been lost. Also something to mention is that her name's powerful in the fact that it's used to threaten children in, into submission and into behaving. For example, be good or Baba Yaga will get you. She's kind of this bogeyman for Slavic folklore. Let's just do a brief look into her background. Now, Baba Yaga, she's a popular figure within Slavic folklore. She appears in hundreds of recorded folklore tales in virtually all parts of Russia, Ukraine and Belarus, as well as other areas. She also crops up a lot in Poland. Now, the first written mention of her that we have was the beginning of the 18th century, though it's believed she's much, much older than that. She plays many roles, from a maternal helper, a mother nature figure, to a cannibalistic villain who often rides around on a mortar and pestle. She's intrigued scholars for the past 200 years because, I mean, it's quite the range that she's got, and she's often described as a hideous, scary old woman, a face marked and etched with the millennia, and with iron teeth and a large hooked nose. Her common name or epithet is the bony one, despite the fact she's always ravenous. And just a mention about the mortar, it's, it's an odd little detail. She rides around in it and she sweeps her tracks away with the pestle. It's odd, but giant pestle and mortars existed. They were a thing and they were really useful in agricultural societies where large amounts of grains had to be processed quickly. They're also very feminine symbols as well. Her nature's quite volatile, she's very unpredictable, and approached in the wrong manner or asked too many questions, and she becomes dangerous. Which, in some tales, in regards to the questions, which, in some tales, and in regards to the questions, this volatile nature is attributed to the fact that for every question answered, she actually ages a year, and that can be rectified by making a tea from blue roses. But Baba, for all her flaws, she's never unprovoked. She'll only challenge those who enter her house and seek her help, helping those she deems worthy and eating the failures. The line of whether she's good or bad is blurred, and I like that, it, it gives her depth. But despite this ambiguity, she does keep her promises. And while Baba is seen as having an evil side that she's not afraid to express, she doesn't seem to tolerate evil done towards the innocent, and stories around her place 
quite a lot of importance on manners, a certain purity of character, and humility. Now, in fairy tales, the places where people live are vital in understanding what they represent, so I want to talk about her hut, and you don't really get a taste of it in the tale of Vasilisa that I spoke about earlier, but there's a lot of odd details around it in other tales. Now, this hut is found deep in the forest, standing on chicken legs, with a fence of human bones topped with skulls, and heroes often have to find their hut without any direction, and it takes them a long time to journey to it, and once they're there, they have to do impossible tasks for her, and if they fail, they're cooked and they're eaten by Baba. And rather thrifty, I think, especially in this current climate, is the fact that that bone fence, it's made up from her victim's leftover bones. Baba's living her own white picket fence dream, and she's living her best life, I find that really admirable. <laughs> Just a side note about these bones as well, there's also some accounts of her rolling around in the bones of her victims, which is an odd little detail, but it could be symbolic of her taking the person's power or their strength. So, back to Baba Yaga's cabin on chicken legs. It may be based on real buildings. Hunter-gatherers within Siberia built cabins with the support being old stumps of two or three closely grown trees cut at the height of 8 to 10 feet, and the stumps with their spreading roots. It kind of gives a good impression of chicken legs. They were built to store food for periods of long time, and it made sure that animals couldn't eat the stores. It's a really practical way of stockpiling food for when times are hard. Hunter-gatherers, you're in circuit, you're in constant movement throughout the land, and if you know there's a hut in an old area you've been, and it's coming up to winter, it's a good place to circle back to and to just have stock up on food again. So... It makes a lot of sense, and yeah, Babi Agar's hut could actually be based on one of these, these stockpiles. It's also not uncommon for demonic beings to have bird or animal feet, and the fact that it's a chicken, that's something to point out because this animal has a level of ambiguity associated to it, because in Russia, it's linked to evil spirits, but it's also a symbol for fertility. So we've got this kind of dual notion within the hut itself. And heroes often have to chant upon approaching where she lives to get the house to turn around. And the chant is, little house, little house, or little hut, little hut, turn your back to the forest and your front to me. It's similar to Open Sesame, and they know they have to do this without being told. It's, it's a given. So the hut rises on its legs and it turns to the hero. And this spinning arguably could represent the heavens and the passage of time. And in some tales, there's also reference to 12 stakes within her fence, a reference to the 12 months. So this hut facing the forest can be seen as it looking into the land of the dead, possibly. And it's been suggested that this hut with this passage of time as well can represent a border post marking the boundary between the land of the living and the land of the dead. And also an interesting point to, to note is that in Scandinavia, doors weren't built on the north side of houses. It was seen as unlucky. And in the Edda, a collection of Norse poems, the house of the dead had a door on the north side. It could be that Baba's spinning hut is a reference to a similar belief. 
It's also suggested that the hut comes from shamanic ideas about the cosmic tree, and it's also interesting to note that it combines juxtapositional themes. We've got stability and instability. There's the animate and the inanimate, and there's also this idea of nature and culture all merging within the same building. And I just want to take a moment to also highlight the forest where she lives because these are quite interesting. Now, in Russian, they're described as Elez Dremchi. The first word, it translates nicely to forest. The second, Dremchi, a little bit more intriguing. It means dense or thick, but the word actually has roots in slumber and drowsiness, which is suggestive that Baba dwells in the realm of the subconscious or the dream world. And within Jungian psychology, this fits in nicely because forests and myths and stories often represent the subconscious. So it's a very liminal space. And there's also this idea that she guards the entrance to the underworld and that she's actually dead herself. And this is kind of backed up with the idea that she often comments and notices the smell of those who enter her hut. And she often refers to it as the scent of the Rus or the Russians. Now, this could link to the belief that the smell of those who are alive is scary and unsettling to those who are dead. Also adding to this interesting theme around death and this sort of guardian of the gateway, sometimes the hero demands food from her as soon as they enter her hut, and Baba Yaga surprisingly gives it. This could be symbolic of a ritual feeding before the person proceeds into the other world. And in Belarus, it's believed that death actually gives the dead to Baba Yaga for her to process. There's also passages in some tales that describe Baba as filling her hut like a corpse in a coffin. And we also have a Slavic burial ritual of placing the ashes of the deceased in a small hut, which sometimes stands on poles. Really interesting, this, the themes of death around her. And I should also mention that she's not alone in this hut. In other tales, she's got invisible servants that tend to her, as well as three pairs of bodiless hands. We also have those three horsemen that serve her, the white, the red, and the black one. These are said to represent different stages of the day as well. I want to look into where does she actually come from and what does she embody? So we know she's ancient and she comes from a vast pool of oral folklore and the first written account of her was towards the end of the 1700s. She's also a statement of men's fears regarding wild femininity as well as cultural anxieties and the danger she embodies could have a deeper meaning of fear around women's sexuality and the power that can be drawn from it also, this idea of the untamable wildness, it speaks to her embodiment as Mother Nature. With this idea of Mother Earth, she can represent winter and the harsh realities of getting lost in the forest. She's also got this link to the moon, and particularly its waning phase, which is linked to her cannibalistic side. And we've also got clouds. And now, clouds in summer, they can give life and they can give bounty. But in winter, it's the absolute reverse, and it's, it's bleak outcomes. And in some tales, she also takes the form of clouds to pursue her victims. So again, a lot of rich symbolism around her. 
Now, early interpretations see her as this Slavic pagan goddess. Now, the Slavs actually worshipped an ancient underground goddess who was depicted seated in an iron mortar with a iron pestle in her hands. Blood sacrifice was a really common offering, and it was believed that she had two granddaughters who she fed the blood to. She also enjoyed spilling blood herself, and with the appearance of agriculture as well as Christianity, beliefs and rituals became outdated. Hunting beliefs and deities were reinterpreted and updated into evil spirits. Baba Yaga, the mother of beasts, all of a sudden becomes an evil witch. Now there is a, a Christian creation story about her, where the devil, in attempting to create the perfect evil, cooked 12 nasty women together in a cauldron. He collected the moisture from his mouth and then spit into the cauldron, and presumably with this mixing of the 12 women and the spit from the cauldron, Baba Yaga emerged. But obviously this is a tale that comes into circulation after her, because Baba Yaga predates the devil and Christianity. And also, again, looking at, looking at Christian um, stories and myths, We've got a little bit of misogyny in there. You know, the 12 evil women, and yeah. Why are we not surprised? Christianity just doing Christianity. <laughs> there is also interesting theories from Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes, very famous author that you might have heard of. She wrote Women Who Run With The Wolves. Now, she's got an interesting idea that Baba Yaga is kind of like a prototype of primal womanhood with wild power. Baba Yaga, she writes, is the very essence of an instinctive and complete soul. She knows everything that there was before. She is a keeper of heavenly and earthly secrets. She inspires fear because she simultaneously personifies a destructive power and the power of creation and life. And we can see that she thrives in the liminal and the liminal space of the deep dark forest, and this idea of earthly powers, she's said to watch over the waters of life and death and to rule over the elements. And some tales place her as a psychopomp, she guides lost dead souls. Also with her idea of the horseman, her son, night and day that do her bidding. She's also portrayed with animals who do her bidding as well. All this, it seems like she's in total control of the natural world and its timings and its cycles. And it's a really interesting point to make about her. Her power doesn't come from her beauty. It isn't defined by her relationship with others. It comes from her independence and her rejection of social standards. And the tales around her really reflect how society treats its outcasts. In the case of Baba Yaga, she, she's very much an outcast, but she's an elderly woman who possesses arcane knowledge that people who are operating in society go to her there's still there's still a relevance to her and there's still she's apart from society but she's also kind of still within it again it's this juxtapositional theme that she sort of straddles two worlds and she also is sometimes seen as a mother without being a wife which hints towards a period in time where Fertility was seen as an exclusively female event without male participation. She's often the mother of animals, 
And in some tales, when she's slain, she actually blows up with worms and other insects. And she comes closer to the negative end of the spectrum whenever she's depicted within a maternal role. She always treats her children questionably. It's it's quite it's quite tough love with her. So some have traced her back to a totemic ancestor, and some have connected her to like an avian goddess of death and regeneration via this hooked nose and chicken-legged hut. While others have suggested she's like a derivative of the mother goddess Mokosh of the Siberian nomadic tribes. Mokosh is the protectress of women. She oversees fertility and the rites of purification at death and birth. And some have also linked Baba Yaga to Hecate. Russian fairy tales were heavily inspired by the Greeks. And in the tale that I told earlier, Baba Yaga and Vasilisa, it could be remnants of Hecate and Persephone. Quote, In some ways, she is that fierce part of the divine feminine that is willing to destroy what is simple and still thinking in black and white. And that's from Brian Raw, a bard and storyteller. And it brings me nicely to what I want to talk about next, her role within initiation. Often within folklore, we can look at the tales and stories as kind of like surviving fragments of social customs and institutions of the past that are no longer relevant. So Vladimir Prop has done huge amounts of work around this and Baba Yaga and her folklore. And he's discovered that rituals where initiates underwent a symbolic death and rebirth, these correspond to stories around heroes and heroines' journeys. And according to Vladimir, the folklore in whatever capacity arose after the ritual had been lost, its meanings fallen out of favour with the community. He thought that as long as the ritual was alive, there couldn't be a folklore around it. And we see that with Baba. She's often placed in a role where she's this initiator for adolescence. It's interesting to note that Baba is generally a villain to male protagonists, and ambiguous at best to female ones. Male heroes have to encounter quite brutal tests, while as for females, it's more housework-based and menial chores, and once completed, they automatically gain a piece of knowledge or power from Baba. And for better or for worse, it's, it's a comment on society at the time. It's relevant to the time and place where Baba originates from. She's training these girls to get them ready for domestic life and duties. And if they're no good, they're not going to get ahead in the world, and therefore Baba eats them. And often with the girls that are involved with Baba, their quests can be seen as metaphors for them searching for a new identity. And just on a, even on a basic practical level, Baba stands as a warning to not go too deep into the forest and to always be kind and generous. And these are just basic lessons to teach your children. I also just want to bring in the theme of initiation and linking it with our hut because often with initiations within Slavic areas, there's a lot of symbolism around initiates being swallowed by an animal. And it's interesting that we've got this chicken-legged hut. It's the only zoomorphic part that's survived or that remains, but yeah, it's it's quasi-animal, and them entering the hut could be symbolic of them being swallowed by it. 
So if we bear props theory in mind, this idea that folklore is echoes of past rituals and beliefs, we can see a transition from a forest-based religion with this mother of beasts figure to an agricultural-based religion where all of a sudden she becomes a witch. And this idea where she symbolically devours people in order to like transform them and for them to grow into the next chapter of their life, she be- it becomes a reality within the folklore and all of a sudden she's this child-devouring monster. The folklores around her eating children is it's a distortion of a previously positive ritual. The stories where she puts children or threatens children to put them in an oven. Again, this could be a link to a Slavic ritual of baking children. Basically, the infant gets put on a baker spatula and it gets put into a warm oven and repeatedly gets taken in and out. This process is an attempt to bake away the child's illness or to kind of ward off evil spirits that are attached to the child. And this oven can be symbolic of a womb. Now, often with Baba, children are led into or they're abandoned in a forest, not by a female, usually by a male, and usually this male is a relative. And this all comes about due to a wicked stepmother. This has been said to sort of like tip the hat to an initiation practice where adult females weren't allowed near or in the space where this initiation was taking place. And also, Baba's cruel behaviour towards the hero and their companions can sometimes lead to her cutting strips of flesh from them. And in reality, this could relate to mutilations inflicted on initiates. I mean, the thing that I like most about Baba is that she defies simplistic explanation or interpretation, and her character is so multifaceted and rich with symbolism, it's almost impossible to know what's going on with her and what you're going to get from her. So let's move on to how you would work with her. And just a note here, because when I initially covered this in my first episode, like my first run through of her, I didn't really touch on the cultural implications of working with her because I kind of thought, oh, you know, Slavic, Slavic based, Slavic origins, that's in Europe, that's cool to work with. Not necessarily the case. Um, Slavic culture has been heavily picked over and picked through and not in the most respectful ways and it's very easily appropriated by by its western neighbours. So yeah, disclaimer here, only work with Baba Yaga if it's appropriate, if it's in your heritage and yeah, just, just be respectful and be mindful around it. You can see how to work with her based on the stories. So being in a deep forest would be a great shout. If it's not possible, substitute this by burning woody scents, such as pine and cedar, and think manners, think respect, and think humility. These are all key. Let's not annoy her. We've seen she's got a mean streak if provoked, and she's cannibalistic, you know? <laughs> let's let's be cool. Let's be chill around her. And I would avoid approaching her with menial masses. You know, she was this great initiator figure, So think big life-changing chapters. That's what I would go to her for. 
offerings. Think of kvass, a fermented drink, mead, beer, cabbage soup, bread or pork. She's always hungry, so you can't go wrong with food. And food you've prepared yourself and taken time to prepare as well. Always a good shout. And try and find a way of incorporating bones into the working because there's there's a lot of bone references to her. And I'd also be tempted to dye some roses blue. That would be a good offering as well because there was that reference to her drinking blue rose tea to sort of reverse this aging process whenever someone asked her a question. So if you're going to her around questions, blue roses could be just a nice way to honour that I'm taking a year of your life, here's a way to rectify that. So, yeah, it isn't going to be easy to build a relationship around her. I think it's going to take time, effort, and dedication on your behalf. But I think she'd be great for protection, for assisting in difficult chapters of your life, this initiator vibe, for banishing, for working with the dead in terms of spirits and ancestors. And I just want to talk about that last point a little bit more. If you've got Slavic heritage, if you know you've got Slavic ancestors, I'd be really tempted to approach Baba Yaga as kind of like this mediator, as this middle person to go to the land of the dead and sort of bring these Slavic ancestors to the forefront so you can communicate them. If you're interested in doing ancestor work, I think that would be a really great way of working with her. So I've also found a ritual and it's from Tarot Pugs and it's based around a white candle and working over a seven day period. So you're going to need obviously a white candle and you want to dress this candle with rowan berries or juniper berries or dried orange peel, dandelion leaves, basil, peppermint, that sort of idea. And you can do this with like the physical herbs or you can dress them with these oils as well. Or, or as a standard. You also want premium quality vodka, and that's going to get offered every day. And you want quality tobacco or cigarettes, and that's going to get offered every day because there's a lot of reference to Baba smoking pipes and smoking tobacco. It's also customary to cover the head or hair with a headscarf when performing this spell, but a hood or a hoodie or like a hooded cloak could stand in as well. So... You want to cast your circle and you want to say powers of air, powers of fire, powers of water, powers of earth, energy of the moon, energy of the sun, energy of the stars, secrets of the forests, secrets of the animals, secrets of the ancestors. I cast this circle in the name of the goddess of all. Protect me from all above and below herein. This circle is cast and sealed. And then you'd want to say... Hear me, Baba Yaga, as I approach your magical hut. I ask you to see and hear me. I ask for your favour. Wise and old Baba Yaga, who only shares her wisdom with those who are worthy to understand her knowledge. I ask for your presence here and now at this ritual. Speak, Baba Yaga. We are ready for your wisdom. Visit us in dreams. Visit us in visions. Whisper your wisdom in the cold wind through the forests and the mountains. Send us on our way to a journey to fulfill your mission and let us be your apprentice. Patient and wise Babi Agar, hear me now and always, I ask of you. 
And then you want to give your offering of vodka. And you'd say, oh, Baba Yaga, the bony one, accept this vodka offering. You'd give the offering of cigarettes or a small amount of tobacco. Oh, Baba Yaga, the bony-legged, please accept this offer of tobacco. And then you want to light the candle and recite, Baba Yaga, give me healing. Baba Yaga, give me the wisdom of witchcraft. Baba Yaga, visit me in my dreams. Baba Yaga, show me the secrets you wish to bestow upon me. And then you'd recite that nine times. And then give her thanks by saying, Thank you, Baba Yaga, for hearing me speak. Thank you, Baba Yaga, for your wisdom and guidance. I thank you, Baba Yaga, for your teachings. Please continue to guide me on my path. And that's what I've got for Baba Yaga. She, I love Baba Yaga. I mean, she is just such a force to be reckoned with. And she's so nuanced and complex and the symbolism so rich around her. It's just, yeah, huge fan of Baba Yaga with her depth and complexities. But yeah, that's what I want to say about Baba Yaga. That's what I've got. And like I mentioned earlier, I'm not too sure when I'm going to be back because I've got to work on my catalogue. But stay tuned because I will do, I'll do a good run up to the, to the launch. You know, I'll give, I'll give plenty of warning. So yeah, that's, that's what I want to say. Thank you for listening. And Majors, that's it. That is a wrap for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. My intent with this podcast is to provide guidance and inspiration for those on their spiritual path and to talk about interesting parts of history relating to spirituality. I also want to connect you with information that is both useful and reliable. Would you like to support me? With your support, I can dedicate more time to the mage as well. You can financially support me through Patreon, where you'll gain access to more content and connect with the mage as well community. The link for this is in the episode description. If you're not keen on pledging money for whatever reason, but you still want to support, you can follow my Instagram at the mage as well. You could tell your friends and family about the show. You could post about the podcast. And most importantly, you could leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This is really important. It really helps because it boosts the algorithm over on Apple Podcasts and it draws in new listeners and helps get the podcast out there. Please help me out. This is an independent podcast. It's just me researching, producing and editing. Anything you can do will help. If you own a business and would like to advertise on the show, please get in touch. The show's email is themajorswell at gmail.com. Special thanks to Coral St. Clair for the podcast artwork. But before I go, I want to share this week's poem, and it's called Baba Yaga's Spell by Sean D. Rasmussen. I once saw the witch with teeth of steel, who of small children would make a meal. Her eyes were cold and her skin was grey. Upon a mortar and pestle, she would fly away. Her laugh would make a grown man faint with fear. And within the shadows would she appear. A witch that evil grew legendary in fame. Baba Yaga was that witch's name. I went to see her long ago. To tell her of a maiden that I loved so. But her love was not for me. And to Baba Yaga I went to see. 
My friends tried to warn me from such a foul place, and told me that the devil was better than to see Baba's face. For in the darkest swamp does Baba Yaga live, and nothing but evil are the gifts that she gives. I ignored the advice, and ignored their tales. I stepped in the darkness, following the trails, to the swamp that no one returned, to tell Baba Yaga of the love which I burned. I followed the trail for many a day, deeper in the swamps where no sane man would stray. After weeks in the swamp, I saw a fence of bones. I knew that I had found Baba Yaga's home. Despite my fear, I called her by name. I then heard her answer and felt ice in my veins. Then she appeared from the door of her home, picking her steel teeth with a chewed finger bone. Her mouth then parted in a hideous grin, as she told me my tale from beginning to end. With an evil chuckle and a sinister grin, she sent her zombies for some items to begin. She cast a spell to capture my lady's heart, and bound it to mine so we could never part. Upon a lock of my love's hair and mine, she cast her spells, and told me together we would be upon the morning bells. Baba Yaga's clawed hand touched me, and I fell into a swoon, and awoke the next morning in my true love's bedroom. She suddenly awoke and shrieked in delight, and clasped in her arms, I was held tight. I tried to speak, yet no words would come, and I looked in horror at what I had become. I now mourn my fate as I lay by this worn log. She loves me now more than I was a man, now that I am her dog. Peace out, witches, and I'll see you at the crossroads. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.